Sometimes, when struggling, you need a tangible reminder that you're not alone. You Don't Fight Alone offers the YDFA kit, a small set of items for comfort, grounding, and serenity. Visit ydfa.org kits to get your own completely free YDFA kit. Please be advised. We will be discussing subjects that may not be suitable for all audiences and will include subjects that some will find challenging, traumatic, or triggering. Welcome to You Don't Fight Alone, a podcast sharing the stories of those of us successfully living with mental illness and how we got here. July, I was so depressed. Like, I just, all of this just got to me. And I think probably a lot of people over the coronavirus will tell you that there was like a moment where everything just kicked him in the balls. And I had that in July. I was just so depressed. I couldn't even get out of bed. I was like the worst dad to my two kids. And I was just useless. I couldn't write. I couldn't do anything. And I finally snapped out of that. My birthday was around the corner. And I like at the same time, I'm going through a divorce during a pandemic where you can't see people, you can't go out and you can't like find ways to like emotionally grow. And so all of that caught up to me and it was awful. And then I went to Galveston for a little while and hit the recharge button and that I didn't work that whole week. I didn't write a lick and I felt a lot better. And then I had a really bad panic attack about two years ago. And that thankfully was the last one I've had. And between the two of those things, those were two separate moments that just were fucking awful. Uh, Robert Dean, I have, I am high functioning anxiety and depression. I had started a new job. I had two jobs that I could possibly take. And one was a startup and the other one was this money with place with like 300 million in the bank. And they, I had the opportunity to write for both of them. And I ended up taking the one with the big money. And I felt really bad about the one that I had left behind the startup because the startup was the more natural fit. And the other one I just took for like solidarity for like safety reasons. And when I took it, my first day was fine, but I realized I was like, fuck, I'm going to hate this job. Because I've gone, like, when you're a writer, you take jobs. Like, I don't care. Any writer should admit this. We just take jobs because people say yes. Like, you're like, cool, you want to hire me? Awesome. Like, I don't give a shit. I'll write the fucking phone book for you. But at this point, I took it, and then I got there, and I was like, this is going to suck. I'm going to be so unhappy here. And then the second day, I rolled in, and... I had drank a coffee on an empty stomach and I walked into the thing and I'd remember walking to my desk and my feet falling like they were coming from under me. And I had a full blown fucking freak out panic attack. It was my second day there. And I had a fucking meltdown and like, I, I legit thought I was going to die. My wife had to come get me and then she gave me my meds and I had to like walk around the block for like an hour 
And then she gave me my meds, which I don't take regularly. And, um, I, then I like passed out in the bed for like six hours and I woke up and my contact was like, yeah, they terminated that contract. And I was like, what the fuck? And I tried to actually sue them for like discrimination because like, I was like, I had a panic attack. What do you want me to do? It ain't my fault. And then I like went back to the, uh, the startup and was like, look, I made the wrong choice. It made it so wrong that I had a panic attack over it. A panic attack feels like you are aware that you're about to die and you can't do anything about it. Like I have this thing called hypnic jerk where if I'm like super stressed out and my panic is like off the charts, that exact second when you're about to fall asleep, I'll freak the fuck out and think that I'm like about to die. And like, I like <laughs> whacked my ex one time and she was like, what the fuck? And I was like, sorry, uh, that sucked. But when you have a panic attack, like nothing makes sense. You can't stop your brain from racing. Your heart's racing. Your skin is pulsing. And like every second, like I have to keep moving. I can't sit still because I'm like, if I sit still, my heart's going to explode and it makes no sense. But when you're like, have no basis of reality, you're panicking so hard. And eventually like, I have to like go walk for miles or run around the block. I have to exhaust myself because then when I'm completely depleted, it goes down. But for that like hour, it's sheer terror. You literally are like, I'm going to die. Like I was, you can't talk, you mumble and your thoughts race at a thousand miles per hour. It's the most frightening thing that I've like ever experienced. The amount of fear that you feel surging through your body that you can't describe the panic. You, you literally think that I am about to die to try to like explain that is like, we have those natural defense mechanisms in our brain. Like we are literally built to deny death and to escape it as much as possible. And when you feel like your mortality is just closing in on you, like I understand that like from like a guy in a, ho in a hospital bed, they're all doped up and they don't know what the fuck is going on. But when you're completely aware and feel like at any moment your heart is going to explode and you will drop dead right then and there. That only amplifies what you feel internally with all of the thoughts and racing through your brain. So I channel myself through my accomplishments. So with anxiety and depression, when I'm anxious, like I can't work enough. Like I set out to be, I learned a long time ago before I knew I had anxiety and depression that I took my work. So because I'm a writer and I never set out to be a good writer, I set out to be the best I can possibly be. I set out to be the best, not fucking okay. Not just like, oh, that's a good job, man. You got a book out. That's cool. I'm obsessed with success. I'm obsessed with like pushing the envelope and what more can I do? And so my depression and my anxiety feed into that. Instead of using my anxiety as this crutch that I can't get shit done, I'm like, all right, well, I'm manic as fuck right now, so I'm going to get a lot of work done, and I will take things as if I don't get something done, that will hit my depression as like, you didn't work hard enough, you didn't work on that article enough, you didn't get that shit done, you don't, like, I'll be the person to get up earlier than everybody and stay up later than them to make sure that I get done what I need to, and that drives me, and so if I don't do things when the depression hit, it was weird because... I'm so used to taking what's going on internally and using it as the fire to like be the salve that I need emotionally. And so I, when I get a, like, if I land something, 
if somebody's like, oh, yeah, here, you got this article with Vice. Like, I was bummed out because I had an article with Vice. And then the guy I was working with, he got canned because of coronavirus. And you're like, fuck, I had this. I've been working on getting on Vice forever. And I finally got it. And then my guy guy gets laid off. And so my story was dead. And that's not something to spiral me out of control. But I was like, fuck. And then that, like, can start the snowball to something else. But it's not like this poor me shit. It's just I see challenges and there's never enough that I can do. Like, I'll, I'll land a huge thing. Like, most people would rest on their laurels of, like, in 2021, I have two books coming out. But and so a lot of people would be like, that's cool. To me, it's like, fuck that. That's not enough. Like, I have to keep doing it. There are holes in me that will never be filled. And so I use my work to continually propel that. It's weird because I'm a perfectionist in the sense that I want the best work possible to play at the level that I want to be at. Like, I don't want to play at that bullshit C level. I want the A plus. I want the New Yorker, Playboy, Esquire. Like, that's where I, that's my, I'm at the like, for people that play baseball or a baseball fan, I always say I'm a triple A baseball player just waiting for the call up because I've got book, I've got book deals and I've been in, in Mike and fatherly and my shit has gone viral. But like, I obsess about getting into those places and reaching that next plateau. But I also understand that sometimes like the work, when you're done with it, you just have to walk away. There is nothing more that you can possibly give it. And so you have to be emotionally cognizant and comfortable enough with your work to be like, all right, I can't do anything more with this. It's now and for the cosmos. If you look up anxiety, physical symptoms, I get them all. Like I get, I have stomach problems, uh, like pissing a lot, all that stuff. And when I've learned that if I take like good CBD, not that shit that you get at the gas station, but like quality CBD from like somewhere in town, like Green Mountain Flower Company or this place here called Blue Bonnet Medicinals, like those two places sell the good stuff. I mean, it's not cheap, but what they can give me will take the things and make it manageable. Is it like the wizard's touch? No, but I would rather operate at a strong 50% anxiety than like a hundred percent fucking insane where like I can feel my pulse in my teeth that like numbs me out. I'm six, four two sixty, So like I have to take like a horse size dose, but it, you know, when I take it, morning at night and sometimes I'll take it in the middle of the day like I'm this constant ever flowing river of it but it manages my physical symptoms really well and my mental it at least numbs them it doesn't make me as crazy because if I don't take it I was broke there with this divorce for a couple of months and it was rough because it's like 80 to 100 dollars a bottle again I'm a huge dude so like I have to take like three droppers of it i take the strongest shit you can like my guy just gave me some tea to try and i'm gonna try that later tonight he's like this tea is gonna fucking knock your dick in the dirt and i'm like good that's exactly what i want because i don't like like i've smoked enough weed to know that i really don't like it like i'm more of an alcoholic kind of guy and i like smoking weed enough but i don't like it in comparison to other things and so I have found that CBD is much more what I feel comfortable with versus when I'm baked, I just feel like 
my head's caved in. It's just not, I just don't enjoy it. It's, I'm not anti weed whatsoever. It's just not for me. Like I'll smoke a bong and be like, Ugh, that was a mistake. And like edibles, you know, have their own thing. Like I took edibles flying home from LA and I was so fucking high. Like it was, it was unbearable. <laughs> I got off the plane. And it was like, I went to this taco, this 24 hour taco spot and I ate three tacos, beans and rice and a whole chips and queso by myself. And I was like, I want some pizza. comfortable with depression as I am anxiety like anxiety is a is the roommate I don't want that lives with me every day depression comes around every now and again and when depression comes it's necessarily it's this thing that like hits me is again is like I get bummed out my depression comes from my job like my job is my greatest joy in my life like I'm a writer that's had ex like experiences and successes that most people would love to have, but I don't feel like it's enough to me. I know it's not enough. And so when that shit gets me down, it just hits me really hard because my sense of accomplishment, but who I am are tied explicitly together. Again, as like I said, as I set out to be the best per version of myself that I can be within, when regards to my work and I get down on myself because I'm an insane person who picked a very hard business to be involved in. Um, when I was a kid, um, I saw in 1994, I saw Pulp Fiction and that was a very transformative year for me. I was 13 and I saw Pulp Fiction. Kurt Cobain had just died. Nirvana was my favorite band when Kurt died. Like I was super into punk in the metal and uh, like, we were getting into like I was riding skateboards and we were seeing movies because up until that point was like I was into music, but movies were like Star Wars and Terminator. But that summer I'd seen The Crow. I saw Mallrats. I saw Akira. I saw Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs and all these things. But then all of them were super cool. But then when I saw Pulp Fiction, it was like movies aren't Star Wars movies. can We can make things that are interesting that are like speak to us. And so that seed was always buried. And I was already an avid reader at that point, but then that was 13. And by the time I got into high school, I was excelling in English and um, writing and stuff because I have uh, a learning disability called dyscalculia where I have no fucking idea about numbers. Like I don't even can't tell you what six times six is. I have no idea. And, but when it came to English and writing, my, my shit was off the charts. And so I was like, I had gone, I had gone through the classes and I put the effort into my writing. And I was like, I took pride that I read books and I understood concepts and I could have in-depth conversations about politics and social structures. And I was reading the, sh the shit I was reading was not what my peers were reading in high school. And then my gram had died in 96 at 54. And I had approached, I was in a um, class that was composition for college, competition, composition for college, the honors class where the teacher was super cool. He was a fucking pothead and he like was super into music and was just a rad dude. And I was like, I went over to him sheepishly because I'm from the South side of Chicago. Nobody in the fucking, and you don't know what a fucking writer is. These people are bricklayers and carpenters and like salt of the earth, working class people. And so me wanting to be a writer, I was like, uh, so 
kind of have this thing. Uh, I want to be a writer for a living. And he was like, cool. Yeah. He's like, you do a really good job. You probably should think about that. And so then I decided that I was going to try it and go all in. And I had written an essay about my grandmother who died that I was really close to. And then I got an A plus on it. And he goes, if this is you really trying, then you got a shot with this. He's like, you, what your classmates do and what this is are not the same thing. And so that propelled me at 17. And now that I'm 39, like I legitimately don't, I never had a goal to do anything else. That's it. It was always to be a writer. Like, I don't fucking know how I can work in a bar and I can write. That's like all I know how to do. Mental health advocacy and being open and especially with men of like understanding that we are these complex creatures too. Like you don't have to be like, get tough pussy. Like that serves no one and it does nothing for us culturally as a species. Like you have to recognize that shit is wrong with you. Like trying to suss out what happens internally and how your emotions. And if you're not honest about that and you're not honest with your partner or with your friends and your employer and everyone else, like my mom always, but like, you shouldn't tell people you have like that stuff that they're going to think I was like, fuck them. If they don't, then I don't want anything to do with them. Like if you're going to hire me or you're going to work with me, you need to know that like if shit gets overwhelming and I drop out for a little while, I don't have social anxiety. But if I like, I'm like, look, I'm having a bad day today. This just is not going to happen. What would you rather me tough it through and give you shit performance or me just take a day and be like, I got to reset today. I don't think any of us know. I, I firmly believe none of us know what we're doing. We're just making our best efforts possible to work with what we got. There's even at the best days, even when you're a fucking like, you know, a, Alex Rodriguez, when he goes out to that diamond, he might know that the ball is going to come at him, but somebody's a better pitcher than, I mean, the statistics for baseball of like actually getting a hit are very low and even the best, like Kanye West or whoever you want to say in like the top of their field, there are things that are automatic and they know that they're incredible at, but life will always find a way to fucking throw them a loop no matter what you do and who you are. Somebody's like, what are three words you would say to your younger self? And mine were, move to Europe. <laughs> um, I had an opportunity to go to school in Dublin, and I didn't take it. Um, I'm glad I didn't take it because I would have financially broken my parents. And I, I mean, I took – I don't have regrets. I I've had a cool life, man. Like, I've lived in New Orleans, Chicago, and I live in Austin. And, like, I've done a lot of cool shit. Um. I've interviewed fucking Obama, you know, and I've done a lot of shit over the years. And so I would just tell younger me that to probably temper expectations of what you want to do, but also realize that it's not going to you just have to keep soldiering on because what I chose to do requires those mistakes. It requires having ghosts. It requires that like you can't be. You can't play at this level without fucking up a whole lot to get here because writing is the only art that really personal writing and comedy, which are essentially same bird, different feathers. Um, you can't get to the place of 
mastery without life. Like there, there's a reason why you don't have any favorite authors that were in their twenties. They were all, they were all like, you know, accomplished adults by the time we got to them, you know, they were in their late thirties, early forties. That's the sweet spot for a lot of people. say be very patient because anxiety doesn't have the same look every day anxiety manifests itself in ways that are different I, like you can be short with somebody you can be like I, I just need to go fucking home and I just don't want to deal with this anymore like I have learned over time that there's shit that I just don't want to do um, and I just don't do it because I realize that it's going to be problematic for everyone I'll complain and I'll be like I don't want to fucking do this and that's fine and knowing that the people that have it, it's not them, it's not you, it's them. And it's like, be patient with the way that we see the world or that are how our conversations can happen sometimes. Like I have this, I have a bunch of different things that like, I have this bad habit and I saw a meme on it the other day is when you're telling me a story I'm not trying to story top you when I interject myself into the conversation. I am just trying to take my literal life experience and show you that I can relate to you. But it's like, it's never not always about me. It's me trying to connect with you in ways that I want you to know that I am a fucked up person, but I also can relate. And I just do my best to do that. And that's off-putting and sometimes because it's not always about me. And I tell people all the time is like, yeah, I've got this big personality like I have to be Robert Dean and I have to be on and I have to like be witty and I have to be able to talk shit at a moment's notice and all that stuff that comes with the persona that I have publicly with people but also who I am as a person but it's all a defense mechanism for what goes on inside my head of like I have to be this person because it's a comfortable costume I can wear all the time I don't know how to not do that because that's the ways that like a lot of us who have anxiety or depression, we get by in the world because you have to be able to be emotionally honest with yourself. But you also have to realize that there are a lot of people around you that are never going to understand what you're going through. But to somebody that's on the outside, you have to be like, like my ex was like, I just don't have it. I don't get it. But she got better at understanding it over time. And there is no one size fits all answer. You just have to be willing to be ride or die with that person in your life and understand that like they're doing their best to explain to you what goes on in your head when they're like fucking their hearts beating and like, I just got to get out of here or they're too tired and they can't explain or why does their stomach hurt all the time or like, why are they always exhausted? You're like, oh, you're exhausted because your adrenal gland is going at a thousand miles per hour. That's why we're always tired. And so just exhibit some patience and be willing to understand that the people that have that have these things going on, they're doing their best. It's not like we want to deal with this. I can think of different uh, things like that. Like I can think of being a little boy, like I'm obsessed with death. Like I am obsessed with it and it's not in a healthy, good way. It's in a terrible way that like I'm always thinking about it and I can go down an existential rabbit hole very, very easily and it drives me fucking crazy. Like, it, it sucks. Like, I avoid death stuff. Like, I, I like skulls and black and all that. Yeah, fine. Cool. But, like, when it comes to actual, like, embracing your mortality and all that, it fucks me up. And I remember being, like, 
nine or 10 and the, the, the reality setting in of being like, you're going to die one day. And it's like, and it's going to be over and you don't know what happens. And like that fucked me up. And like, I, we were a part of a Catholic church at the time. And I remember calling a few times to get a hold of a priest to like ask questions because I realized like my anxiety as a child about this subject fucking was already off the wheels when I was a kid. And so like now as an adult, I don't do any better, but recognizing that later on, I'm like, fuck, like I still fucks me up. And I try to avoid that shit like the plague. But it's just when like I looked at that and like one time I came home from New Orleans to visit my parents. And I remember waking up all panicky and nuts and going to like sleep in my parents' basement because it was cold. Because when you have like an anxiety episode in your sleep, because I get it in my sleep a lot. And I was like dying, sweating and the air was already on. It was a summer. And I remember having to go lay in the basement because it was extra cold down there. And I took my shirt off. I was like, oh, God. And then like later, I was like, oh, wait, I had a panic episode in my sleep. And that was me like not knowing what the fuck was happening. I always just kind of leave whenever I do podcasts, I kind of leave them always on the same note. And I like to always just end them like that is whoever is listening. The world is a very complex place. And there is a lot of moving parts. There are a lot of good people and there is a lot of bad people in it. But in order to make your life better, do something kind for somebody. It doesn't matter if it's a stranger, it's a friend, it's a child, but kindness goes a long way in an ugly place that we're all kind of stuck in this this shared hell. So by doing something nice for somebody and taking the time to either listen, open a door, give some a homeless dude a cheeseburger, whatever it is, that one step of kindness will kind of hopefully get us back on track to normalcy or whatever normalcy will look like moving forward. You can find everything that I do. You can find me on Instagram at literally Robert Dean. And then I'm on Facebook. Facebook group is a very big conversation of politics, culture, ethics, things like that, and a lot of memes. And you can find me on Facebook on there. And you can find, if you go on YouTube or pinned at the top of my page, you can see Functioning on Zero. That is my new special that I shot at Lostwell here in Austin, Texas. There's stories about failure, life, love, regret, all things like that. And you can find me on Amazon, The Austin American Statesman, Mike, Fatherly, CNN, NPR, uh, Consequence of Sound, Farce the Music, Last Real Indians. Those are all the different places that you can find me. Just look for Robert Dean, Austin, Texas. I'm everywhere. For more information and to donate, please visit youdon'tfightalone.org. The You Don't Fight Alone podcast is a production of You Don't Fight Alone Incorporated, produced and engineered by James Fisher and Keaton Lycom. The information presented by You Don't Fight Alone is not intended as medical advice. If you have mental health questions, please talk to a mental health professional.